Welcome back, listeners. Our next Stay Healthy New Jersey episode features Dr. Keith Dobrin, an orthodontist and longtime friend of Justin's. From a young age, Keith knew he would be involved in the dental industry, having come from a dental family. He now works for his own practice, Extraordinary Smiles Orthodontics in Roselle Park, New Jersey, alongside his father, a general dentist, while his wife, also an orthodontist, works for his father-in-law at Bancroft Dobrin Orthodontics in Waldwick, New Jersey. Check out the show notes to find out where you can learn more about Keith and his practice. Enjoy the show. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. All right, so we have Dr. Keith Dobrin here, and we'll get into how we've known each other 15 years. I was thinking about it today that we've known each other. And since I have a little inside information, you like mostly different than me knew from probably what middle school, what you were going to do with your life. How did that all start? Well, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. You know, the writing was on the wall growing up in a dental family. My dad, a general dentist, world renowned speaker, uh, forensics and, child abuse. So I just grew up in his office, basically, uh, working with him, assisting him. So really from a young age, I kind of like the path was set. I went into a high school that was, you know, medically focused, uh, you know, vocational school down the shore, New Jersey. And, um, and then from there, um, I was able to get into a program, a seven year program that was affiliated between Ramapo College and UMDNJ at the time, currently Rutgers School of Dental Medicine. Um, so as a senior in high school, I knew uh, I knew where I was headed. And then you did, uh, when we met, you were a freshman and I was a freshman. And, you know, talk about the program that you did coming out of high school. It was what we call like a three plus one. So you didn't do the traditional four years of undergrad and, uh, you know, dental school after that, which I don't think a lot of people have heard of. So talk about that, you know, from your experience. Yeah. So it was a, it was a great program. Um, you know, only a few were selected per year at the time. So basically you have three years at an undergraduate school that's affiliated with the dental school. You take all the credits, you finish your curriculum in that three-year time period, and then that first year of dental school, credits will transfer back to the college. So you'll attain your Bachelor of Science for me at the time. Um, Although I had credits from high school going into college, so I didn't necessarily need those credits from dental school, so I was lucky in that aspect. But uh, nevertheless, finished college three years, went to dental school, completed that in four years, Um, the only difference was I had to go back after one year of dental school to graduate college. So yeah, yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. If you guys are listening, haven't figured out, he won't say it, but I will. Uh, Keith is a, is a pretty smart dude. Uh, he went to a a specialized high school, graduated college in three years. And then now, or your orthodontist, your wife's an orthodontist, your father-in-law is an orthodontist. And I didn't know this and I still, I want you to talk about it. Um, so orthodontic, is that how you say it? Orthodontics? That's it. 
is a post specialty after dental school. What are some of the other specialties that if you didn't want to do general dentistry that you could have gotten into? Yeah, that's a good question. So orthodontics is one of the, one of the many specialties in dentistry. What you have to do is you have to finish your dental school, you know, four year program. Some are actually, uh, you know, even shorter than that at this time. Um, but when you finish and get your DMD or DDS degree, you go into a specialty. So orthodontics is one of them. You've probably heard of a number of the rest, oral surgery, pediatric dentistry, periodontics, prostodontics, excuse me, prostodontics. These are, um, these are all dental specialties that you have to take extra, you know, courses, um, more learning to get certified and get your specialty certification. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, you can go even further and get national board certification, which typically requires some sort of written exam, oral exam, case space. So you're presenting actual cases that you've done. Um, so, you know, the learning never stops. The experience never stops. You can just keep going and just, you know, uh, improving your you know specialty and certifications. So you graduate dental school and then at what point, at, you know, your dad is a general dentist and still as a practice. Um, where, when did you decide like, Hey, maybe I want to do something more early on? No, you know, for me, I felt like I wanted to do every specialty at some point, you know, and, um, you, you take a course in dental school and, you know, you do a great crown and you're like, I want to be a prosthodontist or, you know, you do a great root canal. You want to be an endodontist. One I didn't mention before another specialty. Um, so you want to do everything, but when you get through that four years, you kind of think, well, where do I want to go from here? And typically uh, a very common path is a general practice residency. So you'll go for another year at a hospital based training. Um, and, you know, from there you can kind of, you know, craft your skills and see if there's something that is of particular interest. Now, some they'll go directly into a specialty, uh, but others like myself, I went into this general practice residency. I went to uh, New York Presbyterian Cornell, the Upper East Side of Manhattan, which had an affiliation with Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, where we also saw patients. And at the time, it was very oral surgery based. So I thought, you know what, oral surgery may be the route for me. Um, but then, you know, about halfway through the residency, my wife was accepted into the orthodontic program um, out west in, in Nevada. Uh, so I thought, you know what, let me let me look into orthodontics. And at the same time I was in this oral surgery based general practice residency, they probably did 50 orthognathic cases, meaning, a, you know, a combination of oral surgery and orthodontics. So they're lining up teeth and then they're doing surgery to line up the jaws for these really severe cases. So that piqued my interest. And then from there I said, you know what, let me give orthodontics a try. So instead of, you know, jumping, jumping right into it. Um, spoke to her program director and there was an opportunity for a one year internship in orthodontics where I can kind of, you know, see is, is this program for me? I can, I can learn on the fly. I was treated like a resident, uh, you know, saw patients with the other residents and, you know, kind of fell in love with that aspect of dentistry. You know, it's a very strategic, um, you know, forward planning type dentistry. This is not, you know, somebody comes in, you know, needs a filling, has pain, needs a root canal. This is a puzzle of teeth and jaws and muscles and, you know, TMJ. 
right? These are all, you know, terms that we hear all the time. And we have to put these things together and make them work in harmony. Otherwise, you're going to have discomfort. You're going to have grinding. You're going to have, um, you know, an, an unesthetic appearance you're not happy about. You know, there's definitely uh, some correlation between confidence and a beautiful, healthy smile. So all these things come into play. And for me, that was that was it. I was sold. And so talk about the journey from beginning to end when you, from the time you got to dental school till the time that you finished, I use air quotes to, and being allowed to practice now back in New Jersey, how many years was that full process being internship? And I'm getting lost in all of it at this point. Yeah, me too. I, you know, this is a trip down memory lane. I feel like, you know, I started this journey uh, in high school and now I'm in my thirties and I'm like, Oh, I can finally work on patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a long journey, uh, you know, in total number, I guess maybe it's 12 or 13 years for me, Crazy. including, you know, getting my bachelor in science at Ramapo, went to dental school four years. I did a residency for a year. I did another, I did an internship for a year. And then the orthodontic program was a three-year program. But at the same time, I attained my master's in business. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, which is very valuable, I'm finding, as you know, a business owner. Mm-hmm. So that whole process. But as a dentist, 2012, uh, you know, graduate, I was seeing patients all along. So whether I was in residency, whether I was in internship, or in the orthodontic residency, I was working part time as a dentist. So yeah. Saturdays and Sundays, nights, you know, just to make some. Money. money while I was in all these programs, yeah. um, you know, to try to stay afloat. And I was the endodontist of one of the practices, you know, while I was in an orthodontic residency, they said they needed an endodontist. So I did all root canals on the weekends, you know, so it was, it was a pretty wild journey, but such a great experience because it really helped mold where I'm at today. Yeah. And and the reason why I'm asking so much about it, you know, there's so many stereotypes out there of God knows what, but all oh, the rich doctors, they make so much money in the dentist, but no one realizes that you're literally in your mid thirties before you can, you know, actually practice. And, you know, you, a lot of people start working at 22. You were just getting going in school and spent the better part of a decade or more trying to get the education so that you could eventually have an income. And I, I think people don't, don't think about that as much, you know, the opportunity cost of doing such a long program to, you know, eventually reach your goals which is, you know, where you are today and, and, and literally in your you know, mid thirties, just getting started in your career where a lot of people are changing careers at that point in their mid thirties, they've already done something for a decade. So it's, it's significantly different. Talk to me about how competitive it is getting into orthodontist school. Uh, I remember we had a conversation years ago and I, I could be wrong, but I think you said it's like 4% of, is it the hardest specialty? And, and then if so, why? Yeah, no, it's, I think that number is probably pretty accurate. Um, It's a tough specialty to get into. And, you know, as you said, you know, uh, just now about this whole process, I mean, you have to, you have to stick with it. You have to be motivated. You have to understand that you're going to accumulate loans. You're going to get to a certain point and you're going to say, you know, can I keep going? Uh, You know, when, when do I actually enter the real world? And, you know, once you do, it's a, it's really refreshing. I mean, for me, it's been three years now and, um, you know, orthodontics, you know, the process of getting in, it, it, 
It's not easy. It, it, getting into any dental specialty is not easy. Like I said, the typical, you know, jump from dental school is a one-year residency. Now, there are some, you, you can take your degree and go out and practice, but a lot will tend to go into a residency, get one year of extra training where you're, you know, there's some oversight, but you are the dentist, you make decisions. To get into a specialty, you really have to, you know, I mean, aside from being at the top of your class, uh, you have to have, you know, a lot of experience with, you know, different clubs, different, you know, types of, um, you know, extracurriculars that, that prove that this is the route you want to go. And for me, I had that, but I didn't have that in terms of orthodontics. So I did this one year internship program to not only prove to me that this was my, the right path, but to prove to the school and the professors and the dean that I was right for orthodontics. So, and that, that's a challenge. So I had that opportunity to kind of prove myself on site. Um, but I dedicated a year to doing that. Whereas others may say, I'm going to apply right out of dental school. And, you know, my, my CV, my grades, all that has to, has to prove that I'm going to be, you know, one of these top guys that's going to get in. Um, but specialties are, are tough to get into. Um, general dentists, they do it all. I mean, I'm sure, you, you know, you, you go to a general dentist, they, they can do all these procedures. Uh, typically, they, they stray away from orthodontics because it's, it's a lot more complex. It takes a lot more training, but dentists are doing Invisalign. I mean, that's one of the one of the orthodontic type treatments. Let me, let me stop you there. As someone who's in the medical field, like what you're about to kind of talk about, I, I have no idea. And so for the people out there, um, like what, I guess going, what should they look for? You know, if I went to my dentist, I would think like in my brain, it's like, if you need braces to get your teeth straightened out, I go to an orthodontist. If I have and anything else, I go to my dentist and assume that I guess they'd either do it or send me out. But you're saying that maybe there's a, there's carryover and, and for someone out there, maybe they should have a little more, maybe it shouldn't be, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if we want to use the analogy of the medical field, I mean, you go to a physician um, and you need some sort of, you know, skin treatment, right? They're going to send you to a dermatologist, right? Check, you know, you know, go get checked out by your enterologist. I mean, your uh, dermatologist, yeah. but if you're, you know, you have a stomach issue, gastroenterologist, in dentistry, the general dentist is typically the first patient to see their, you know, all these people, right? So they're kind of the quarterback, but they have to decide, are they capable of doing these procedures? Now, some of them are great. They've been doing this for years. Their experiences have led them to believe that they can do all the specialties and they can. They're held to the standards of a specialist. So if they're doing extractions, they have to understand the oral surgery implications of doing those, you know, extractions. They have to understand post-op care. If they're doing root canals, they have to understand follow-up, all these different things, making sure that the tooth, the tooth is clean, up, clean enough uh, and healthy enough. If we're, you know, going to start talking about orthodontics, they have to understand tooth movement. So it's not just as simple as taking an impression or a mold, sending it to Invisalign, getting some trays back, and then handing trays out. That's not orthodontics. That's not clear aligner treatment. That's, you know, that's kind of teetering on that, that line of, you know, are they aware of actually what's going on? Now, 
general dentists are astute. They know their skill set. They know what they're capable of and a lot know to when to refer. Uh, but we will typically even get patients, um, you know, that are referred by insurance, a lot of time word of mouth. I think the best is when we get a patient from a general dentist that says, hey, this is not within the scope of my practice. This patient needs orthodontic treatment, whether it's interceptive therapy where the, the child needs an expander or some functional appliance to help their growth, or if it's, you know, lining up the teeth in a healthy fashion. I mean, these are all really like specific type treatments that, you know, you'd want a trained professional to do just like in the medical field. Sure. Yeah. As far as my knowledge of an orthodontist, you know, when I was a kid, my teeth weren't straight. My mom brought me to the orthodontist. Um, and, and most likely, and if I never got that treatment, I would have been healthy. Right. But I know that's not just what you do. Right. Talk right. to me about the normal, maybe, or what, what does an average I not day look like, but what are some of the other than again, you know, mom brings their kid to get braces because his teeth are a little crooked. What is, what are the things that you do um, that people might not know? And, 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 you know, the issues that you see and, and help fix. Yeah, those are great questions. And yeah, I mean, when you think of an orthodontist, you think of mom bringing child to the orthodontist, straightening teeth, can't wait to get the braces off and chew gum and be done with it. But, yeah. you know, on a typical day, we see a lot of patients like that and we're lining up teeth and, you know, they have the benefit of their parent bringing them in and understanding that this is necessary for their future and stability of their teeth and smile and whatnot. But a lot of these patients are coming in with concerns, um, especially when they're in that range of eight years to 10 years. Is there going to be enough space for these teeth to erupt? There's two different ways of thought. One is do interceptive therapy, meaning you, um, a lot of you have heard of palatal expanders where you're expanding, creating room for teeth that may be trapped versus just waiting until you have a full dentition and then extracting teeth, permanent teeth. And we practice conservatively, so we prefer not to do that. We only do that out of necessity. So if we can catch a case with, you know, a, a, a canine, let's say for example, a canine that's stuck and it's not going to come out and not going to erupt ap uh, appropriately unless we intervene. We can really do some things at a young age where we can transform this skeleton and, you know, create room for teeth to come in. And no one knows how teeth are going to erupt. We can look at x-rays. We can look at 3D CBCTs and see, you know, alignment of teeth, but nobody really knows I mean, they can come in. If they have space, they come in. If they don't have space, they don't. Sometimes even with space, they don't come in. So what we do is we prepare the teeth, uh, the arches, the maxilla, the mandible, and we create room for them so that, you know, by the end of that first phase of treatment, maybe they're 10 years old, nine or 10, they have a mixed dentition, half permanent teeth, half primary teeth. We kind of just let them let them go free, and that treatment only typically takes like a year. And then we they they have a little braces holiday we call it for a couple of years until all their permanent teeth start erupting, and then we do it maybe for another year versus in the past where you would say, let's wait until all the teeth come in and let's do this for two years, three years, four years, however long it takes. And I had braces, I had them for four years. I mean that's what it was. You just wait and then you get them out. And my dad is a dentist, you sure. know? Yeah. So, I mean, these kind of things, um, 
I, I believe the public uh, dental IQ has gone up with advances in social media and um, you know active ways to get information. So they're kind of seeing these these things and uh, information is more readily available. So they are seeking us out for these purposes. You no, know, but most times uh, a younger child, six, seven, eight, on average, that's healthy in my world. I wouldn't generally, unless they got injured, need to like see them for a corrective work, so to speak. And as you were talking, I'm, I'm wondering, is there something developmentally or, or why do so many kids need structural intervention? Like, or, you know, I guess the equivalent would be like every kid coming to me because uh, his arm is crooked, but like so many kids have, again, not even pathologic, but have teeth that don't align properly or need palate expanders or don't have room. Is there a reason like developmentally why it is kind of so systemic and so many people have it? You know, through evolution, jaws are kind of shrinking where there's not enough room for these teeth. Uh, you know, there were more teeth in the past. I mean, I'm not talking decades. I'm talking, you know, thousands and thousands of years. I mean, p- people had more teeth and now we're, they're dwindling away. Some people aren't even developing wisdom teeth anymore, right? So we're seeing that. We're seeing constriction of jaws. We're seeing habits, right? Thumb sucking, um, mouth breathers. We're, we're, we're seeing these constricted palates where they're in crossbite, meaning the teeth aren't overlapping properly. That's a, that's a, like a big time indicator of we need to get started on something because we want you to develop appropriately. We have to get that trapped jaw out from underneath the mandible. So, you know, the maxilla, the upper jaw, the teeth are fitting within the lower jaw. That's a, that's a red flag. We have to fix that. Or if you have an underbite, you'll never develop appropriately if you have an underbite. Now, some are skeletal. That's the rarest uh, situation to have. And for those, sometimes they'll require surgery. How often are we doing surgery? I mean, very, very few cases over the years um, because it's an as-needed basis. We have to wait till growth stops. We have to, you know, see if we can't camouflage the situation and make them look better as, you know, as a functioning adult. But you know, there's a lot of conditions these days where there's a need to intervene. And like I said, we practice conservatively. So if an eight-year-old comes in and they look fine, healthy, they'll probably have enough room for teeth. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll just follow them up. You know, we don't treat unless we have to treat. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd like to say the same for all my colleagues. I mean, we, we practice with the same ideals, the same you know, guidelines within our associations. And I mean, we all study the same material. So it's, it's just, I, I guess over time, you know, these kind of things happen and, and we are there to jump in when, when the patients come in to see us. You mentioned your dad briefly before. And when we first met, you talked to me about how he worked in 9-11 and forensics and child abuse. And at that time, again, you know, I had no idea the connection between being a dentist and any of those things. Can you just talk about that for a little while about what that, why and what it's about? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, my dad is, is my idol. I mean, he, he is the king of, of this field. He has had this, you know, highly successful general practice for so many years while at the same time, he's the chief forensic dentist in New York city, identifying bodies. He's like I said, a world renowned speaker. Why, 
talk, why, why a dentist though for identifying bodies? Yeah. So, I mean, there's different scenarios which happen in forensics where you cannot identify a body, uh, a deceased, you know, what, was it a fire? Was there a fire? And what came out of this fire? If you look at a pile of ash and you see, you know, unfortunately this is a, a pretty morbid topic, but if you look, I mean, teeth withstand these high, high temperatures. Teeth and what's the reason for those? They just have this, this, um, just the structure. They're able to withstand these high heat, high heat temperatures, and I mean, they're intact. So if you look, you see like a perfect jaw. So how are you going to identify who this person was if nobody knows who was in the building and there's no leads? Hmm. I mean, it it has to. You go into this database. Uh, they take X-rays. They look at you know, these features wait for a missing person's report to come in and it's, you're with the teeth. I mean, there's definitely a, a number of ways to identify people. Uh, DNA for one, I mean, recognition, if, it, like I said, it wasn't a fire, if there was all indications that, that that was the only person in a building and that person passed. I mean, but if we're looking back at 9-11, since you mentioned it, firefighters they weren't wearing their own coats with their name tags on it you know they were grabbing whatever was closest to them and going right into the fire uh into the rubble and grabbing people so you can't just say oh they had a wallet in their pocket that's them or they had a jacket on and that's their name you know mm -hmm. so then dental forensics comes into play and it's not not necessarily only deceased. I mean, we're talking about child abuse too, where you're looking for pattern marks where, you know, who other than the dentist is seeing these kids and able to evaluate pretty much the whole body, the neck, the back of the head. I mean, with abuse and, you know, my dad is, like I said, he's the master of this, but he, you know, he, he tells you. at the dental schools, right? Yeah, he teaches at the dental schools, record courses that are required to, to get through dental school. But, you know, pulling of the hair, right? Or burn marks on the neck or choking, you know, stuff like that. And I mean, for us, you know, and, and to this day, you know, if I see a patient with a bruise, even if it looks like the most benign thing in the world, they got a black eye, I'll ask them about it. You always ask because kids will always tell you what happened unless you start to notice these signs of, you know, potential abuse and they're, they're you know, you know, non-existent, their eyes are glazed over, they're kind of shuddering away, or every time you get close, they, they flinch. Like, these kind of things are telltale signs, he'll tell you. And we're the ones that are seeing these people. I'm seeing my patients typically on a four to six week basis, right? So I know what's going on in their lives. I make notes, I check on them, make sure everything's okay. And, you know, luckily to this point, I haven't had any encounters with something along those lines. But in the event that I did, I'm, I'm, you know, prepared and I understand, you know, the, the oath I've taken to protect these people and, and what I need to do from there. Yeah. You mentioned uh, hair pulling. How would you notice that? What would you notice if someone, if you came in and was an abuse signer, you wouldn't really. I mean, I, they're sitting in my chair, you know, they're kind of practically in my lap as I'm treating them. So I could, yeah. you know, take a quick scan and see, you know, is there any petechiae in the hair, right? Like on the scalp that I see um, sure. or any missing follicles or chunks of hair, you know, those kind of things are, uh, you know, pretty quick to identify. And you just, mm -hmm. you just ask them, Hey, you know, we playing around, 
you know, hanging out with your older brother, he pulls your hair. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were playing the other day on the trampoline, something like that, you know, yeah. but um, you know, you just want to make sure that, you know, these kids are safe. I mean, that's, that's our, you know, that's a promise we've made as uh, you know, doctors, physicians, dentists, whatever it may be. I mean, and you, same with you in your field. I mean, sure. in chiropractic, you're seeing these patients, you're looking at their entire body, right? Yeah. You can see these things. Sure. Uh, you mentioned Invisalign before relatively new. I mean, Invisalign didn't exist when I was a kid and that's not terribly long ago. What are the positives, negatives? Um, could someone like me coming to you as a 13 year old use Invisalign versus the standard braces or does it not work like that? Sure. I mean, Invisalign, so Invisalign, just to clear up terminology, is brand name, right? So Invisalign is like saying Kleenex, like I need a tissue, Kleenex. Invisalign is a clear liner and there's a a ton of companies that produce clear liners. Invisalign has just been the best with marketing, um, earliest on the scene for the most part. So as far as Invisalign goes, it's a series of aligners and Aligners are basically, they look like retainers, those clear plastic retainers, and each one has an inherent movement within it. Um, and, you know, we typically prescribe safe movements. You, you wear these for 22 hours a day. Maybe it's for 10 days at a time, and there's a sequence of them. Now, can a 13-year-old come in and get a clear aligner, Invisalign per se? For sure, as long as the condition, um, you know, isn't something that I would say, no, you know, Invisalign is probably not the best idea for it because traditional braces, um, they still go a long way, especially when all teeth haven't erupted and you're trying to bring in canines that have been impacted or stuck. Um, But, you know, clear aligners are really, uh, they've really become popular. We see ads all the time on TV. I mean, Invisalign's marketing has been, you know, a lot of the sports teams, a lot of the, uh, you know, NFL, Monday night football, Thursday night football. Uh, But what we're also seeing is these Smile Direct clubs, right, which are these do-it-yourself aligners. Um, So as far as that goes, they're basically catering to a market of people who may or may not have had braces in the past, but may have like some really minor movement that, that needs to be done. And their process is you're basically treating yourself, right? You take your own mold or you go to a center and they do a scan and then they're just sending you a bunch of these aligners, but there's no, there's no oversight. So for me, is it access to care for patients who otherwise wouldn't come to an orthodontist? Yes, I can understand that aspect. And that has always been like, you know, the tough, the the struggle of, well, does it need to be completely eliminated? Well, I mean, I don't like the fact that there's no oversight. I don't like the fact that I have patients coming in who have tried these type of, uh, you know, aligners and have failed and things have gotten worse. I had one come in this past week and, you know, it hadn't been for a while. It was more so in the surge a couple of years ago when they, when they first came out, but you know, on our dental forums and orthodontic forums, we're seeing teeth just getting blown out of proportion in different places and conditions getting significantly worse to the point where some people are losing teeth. So you have to understand that, yes, there's access to care, but, you know, maybe a consultation with an orthodontist where we do complimentary consultations, come see us, come tell us that that's the route you were going to go and see if we can work with you. I mean, is the, is the biggest barrier finances? We'll work with you. 
You know, right. this is this is not something that, you know, we want somebody undertaking some risk because they want to pay less. I mean, you know, orthodontics, there, there's, you know, a, a certain premium you pay for getting your teeth straightened and, and healthy and ideal smiles. But I mean, come in for a consultation, go see your nearest orthodontist before you, you jump to some do it yourself. Right. Right. All things being equal. Um, like, would you rather just put the standard braces on someone or do you care? Like, do you have a preference personally? Like if, if they could go either way? Personally, I, I like to do both. Um, now traditional braces are the ones you have the little colors on, you come in, you know, it feels a little tighter every time you come in, but they have really improved the performance of braces. And we're using a lot of, uh, what they call passive self ligation, meaning, these are braces that don't necessarily need those little ties, but they have a mechanism with a little door. So you open and close the door, you put the wire in and that's it. It's passively working equally throughout that whole time period. So it doesn't hurt like, you know, what you remember years ago, you know, when I had braces 20 years ago, I just knew every time I, I went in, they were going to tighten me up and the next couple of days are going to be, we're going to be tough. But these days we use these on adults. We have patient, we have adult patients coming in and they prefer braces. So these are the, the type of braces that we'll use, especially for situations of crowding, situations of a bite that needs to be corrected with say elastics or rubber bands. Um, but you know, there is value to putting these braces on and, and, ex and slowly expanding over a period of time with these high performance materials that are comfortable. So I do, I love putting, putting these special bra specialized braces on and seeing the results, you know, six weeks later, eight weeks later, I mean, things have dramatically changed and that, you know, we're getting testimonials of patients, you know, at their next visit saying, this is incredible. What an experience. But do I also love doing aligners? Yeah. I mean, I'm the one that's pretty much doing the aligner treatments in our offices and it's basically, like I said before, it's kind of like a, a, a strategy, like a chess game. I'm moving all these teeth, but I have to move them within reason and within a healthy type range to get them where they need to be. So all the work is on the back end. I have to prepare all this stuff in advance. And then say it comes out and it says in a safe manner, it's going to take 20 trays to get to that final result. If the patient's wearing it for 10 days at a time, they're wearing it 22 hours a day. It's pretty predictable. Um, but, you know, I, I like doing both and I've tested aligners for different companies that were up and coming um, over the past couple of years. And even before they've, um, you know, achieved an FDA certification and whatnot throughout this country or, you know, throughout the world, I've tested these products and, you know, kind of troubleshooted with them. What needs to be changed? What needs to be done? And I mean, so, I wouldn't say I lean one way or the other, but if a patient comes in, I'll kind of tell them which, which route I'd go. You know, well, the, the benefit to the clear aligner is, is mostly, is it mostly cosmetic that you just don't see them or is there other benefit to it? Yeah, it's, it's mostly cosmetic. Um, I mean, they, they look good. It's, I mean, but this day and age, everybody's wearing masks anyway. So I mean, what are you going to see? Right. So that's yeah. why, I mean, I think braces have surged because, you know, people aren't seeing, yeah, they're not seeing these smiles. Right. But, um, with the liners, it was typically an aesthetic thing. You know, uh, a teenager going into high school doesn't want to get braces, 
but you know we have clear braces we have these clear braces which is an alternative and they look great um, made of the same materials that we use for these specialized braces um, but aligners they there's different scenarios where you're, you'll see a patient you say do you care one way or the other no okay you know what maybe an aligner would be better for you you know because for this reason that reason whatnot because i can you know i can i can trust that you're gonna wear them you're gonna be compliant and i can get this process done in a timely fashion so but typically people come in and say i i just don't want to wear braces or i had braces 10 years ago and i didn't wear my retainers and i need some things fixed but i'm not going to put braces back on so but for me if somebody says hey i'll put braces back on i'll you know i'll knock it out pretty quickly so mm -hmm. It's a, uh, that's the catch 22 of, you know, aligners versus braces, I guess. You mentioned compliance and retainers. I mean, is, I feel like it's almost a running joke among kids when they get their braces off of how little they wear their retainers. Is that like the most frustrating thing you deal with? You mom puts braces on kid gets braces off. And then within like five years, their teeth are bag of shit again. Basically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I, I stopped wearing my retainer and you know, my wife Ashley had to put braces back on me years ago. You know, maybe it was five years ago or something um, when we were in our orthodontic program. I mean, everybody's guilty of it and nobody's immune. But, you know, I went into this field knowing that and I have sympathy. I, you know, it's, it's sympathy, not empathy, because I did it. So, is there okay. anything that you could do though? Like, you think long term, is there anything that could be useful to make that not an issue? It feels like we're doing the same thing over and over forever, you know? Oh, for sure. I, what we're doing probably in 95% of our patients is we're putting in a permanent retainer on the lower teeth. So the most likely teeth to shift as you age are those front four to six teeth. Yeah. We have what's called latent mandibular growth. The jury's out on whether wisdom teeth cause anterior crowding. My opinion is that they're pretty far back there. And, you know, I'd say the literature is showing 50-50 or it has in the past, but I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I don't buy into that. I think it's, we're continuing to grow. We're continuing to remodel, you know, our jaws, our, you know, teeth throughout life. I mean, we just keep growing. It's just these micro millimeters, but yeah. I mean, a millimeter is a mile in orthodontics. A millimeter is, you know, the tip of a, a pencil, right? Sure. For us, that's, that's significant. So, I mean, so we'll put in a permanent retainer on these front six teeth, which is basically a, a hidden bar that's smoothed out, comfortable. You forget it's even there after a day. And, you know, typically we'll get a question, well, can I, I can't eat certain foods. I can't do the, my typical things that, you know, I was doing before braces. No, I mean, this is just a bar to retain these teeth. Can, uh, you know, some composite or glue come off on occasion? Yeah, it does. But just come in and we'll get it fixed. Or we can do, you know, um, even a, a retainer on top of that. And you have that as a backup. Mm -hmm. But on the top, if you think about the bite, we typically don't put in a permanent retainer. Because if these are your top teeth and these are the bottom teeth, right? And they're, you know, one is in front of the other. Where are you biting? You're yeah. biting with the back of the front teeth on yeah. top yeah. and the front of the bottom teeth, yeah. right? Sure. So that's that's the tough tough thing to assess and decide you know do we have enough room to place a permanent retainer on top or can we trust that they're you know going to wear this retainer typically we'll leave them with the braces on for a, a short 
extended period of time just to stabilize things because teeth have this inherent you know characteristic to move back to where they were the way that your teeth look now without races without aligners without a retainer is how they want to be right the fibers are you know connected in that way and they just want to be like that if you move them you have to kind of you know uh, let the let the bone around it remineralize you're 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 kind of um you know, moving a whole, uh, a tooth within bone and it's moving to another location. So the bone has to kind of strengthen around that area and the fibers have to reorganize. So you want that to kind of stabilize for a period of time. That's why we say, you know, wear your retainer full time for pretty much three months. And then at least, you know, so let's say 12 to 14 hours for the following three months. Right. So. Let's shift gears a little bit. Talk to us about, you know, where you're working. I know, Literally, you're like involved in family business on both sides with your wife, your father-in-law, your father. What's going on with that? Where do you work? And then tell the audience a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, well, I'd be remiss to say I have a beautiful wife who's also an orthodontist, yes, Ashley. And I have, I have two uh, beautiful kids. Uh, my son is going to be three in November. And my daughter is going to be, she just turned one, actually. So they take up the majority of my time outside of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I enjoy that. But you know, on a, on a typical day, I mean, I'm, I'm at one of the practices. So um, my wife, my father-in-law, we have a practice, Bancroft Dover and Orthodontics. It's actually two practices in Bergen County. So one's location, one location is in Waldwick, one is in Teaneck. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise, I'll be at my practice, which is Extraordinary Smiles Orthodontics. And that is in Roselle Park in Union County. Um, and I practice alongside my father, who's general dentist. So um, typically, that's that's where I spend the majority of my time. And um, you know, it's a it's, lot. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's it's enjoyable. I mean, you know, bouncing around the three practices, and for a period of time after, you know, after getting out of residency three years ago, I worked as an associate in a couple of different practices as well. Yeah. Up until this, uh, you know, COVID pandemic were kind of shifted gears and really focused on our practices. I, I was working at other places with other colleagues. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what I want to finish up with on a more business slash personal, personal level, most people think of, I almost look at you similar to like my profession where a lot, you know, you can work a corporate environment and do something like that. You know, most medical doctors at this point work, you know, for the big hospital groups and they're kind of employees. They have a practice, but they're employees, but it feels like um, as an orthodontist, yeah, you could work for as an employee in a corporate or be an associate, but there is still some of that entrepreneurial, as I call it, like you hang up a shingle and open up a practice type thing. And, you know, after going through 10 to 12 years of school as, and you're practicing medicine um, and now you're expected to, you know, run a business. What is that like for you? Yeah, it's, um, it's not easy. I mean, you, you kind of, you're really focused on, you know, what you're learning. Right. And, and the same goes for you. I mean, you were in school and you wanted to know every aspect of chiropractics and how that affects, you know, whatever you're doing on a daily basis with these patients. But you then you, what you don't realize is you get out and then all of a sudden it's basically a business. I mean, you have to get 
patients to come to your practice. You have to market yourself to get these patients into your practice and you have to prove yourself. Your results have to prove yourself. And these patients have to say, you know, man, uh, Dr. Justin, he, he fixed me up and I feel great. And no one was ever able to do that. And I'm glad I, I took a chance on him right out of school. And he's sure. you know, like these kind of things. I mean, you, you have to understand that for me getting the MBA, uh, really opened my eyes because, you know, the, the guys that went out and hung a shingle and, you know, these dentists, you know, like my father, like my father-in-law, I mean, how long does it take for you to kind of learn the MBA, right? Does it take a decade for you to make all the mistakes that you had to, had to make up until that point to, to figure it out? I mean, nobody knows the, the right answer, but I mean, this advantage of learning the business and learning metrics, understanding, you know, all the other aspects outside of the sciences mm -hmm. and medicine. I mean, it's really eye-opening. And I think that, you know, there should be courses earlier on. I mean, in yeah. dental school, in the residencies, I mean, I had the advantage of going to a, a residency where I attained my master's in business, but not all do. It's very few and far between. So, um, you know, starting a business, it's tough. And for those getting out of school, I mean, when you're trying to pay down loans, trying to, you know, get back on your feet, typically a, a good first step is being an associate, following along with somebody else, seeing what they're doing, seeing what what's working and what's not. And then eventually we, we jump into our own practices or we start our own practices once we have the, the capital, once we have the confidence. And, um, and then we go from there and it's, it's always a learning process. I mean, to this day, I'm only three years in, I'm still, you know, young and I mean, fresh out of school, but I'm going to be learning indefinitely. And I know my father-in-law who's been in practice for 30 plus years is still learning. And my, my father who's practiced for even longer. I mean, every day is something new. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about the startup costs and that. And again, I just want people to understand, you know, they, they go into a, any, hopefully you walk into any business and it looks super easy. Right. And it's like, Oh, this runs smoothly, but they don't, you know, no one looks at the behind the scenes in your, in your world, forgetting about like office, like, like chairs and stuff, but from a purely like equipment standpoint, what would it cost you to start up your orthodontics practice or what has it cost you to just get to open the door and have proper equipment? Yeah. I mean, the, that's, that's a, it's definitely a loaded question. I mean, you have practices. So depending on what type of practice you, you have, what kind of treatments you offer. I mean, if we're talking about a liner treatment, are you going to take molds or are you going to buy the machine that, you know, you can do a scan that, you know, costs in excess of twenty-five, thirty thousand yeah. dollars um, You know, a practice, definitely will cost at minimum a couple hundred thousand dollars just to just to get the equipment that you need and if you want to go high end on everything you're talking building and you know uh chairs and you know all the supplies that you need you're you know you could push close to a million dollars i mean this could be over five hundred thousand dollars and this is you know this is the hurdle for most to get into practice so it's yeah. it it's not easy but um you know, I've been blessed to be able to jump into a practice with my father-in-law and, you know, 
work alongside my father, but you know, still we have to contribute. We have to buy new equipment. We have to buy the newest braces, the newest aligner companies. And we're, you know, typically putting in a lot of capital to do that. And right. we, have to, we have to keep up and we have to keep up with literature, you know? Yeah. Did they just prove that something's not working or something works better a certain way? We have to be ready for it. The CBCT, that's, you know, the cone beam uh, CAT scan. The standard of care was always these 2D images, right? The panoramic x-ray, which is one that swings around your head. And, you know, a, you know, a CEPH, which is basically looking at you from the side and you can kind of detect growth patterns and, and see how the jaws align. But these days, it's the, the gold standard is starting to become this CBCT machine. I mean, the difference between a 2D imaging and 3D imaging machine, we're talking, this could be an $80,000 to $100,000 machine. And right. that's, you know, that's a big expense just to see 3D images versus what orthodontists and dentists practicing in, in the golden age of dentistry were just using 2D and, and they still figured it out. Right. Now there's more liability, there's more concerns, um, more accountability. So, right. Final question. Uh, you work with basically your wife, your father-in-law, your father. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's benefits and drawbacks, but how do you kind of keep it separate sometimes, right? Like business and personal. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, we're, we typically uh, kind of just try to shut it off at some point um, or say, hey, you know what? We're going to have a little family gathering, but, you know, let's keep the uh, business out of this. But it, it never it never happens that way because we're always concerned about patients or, you know, oh, I saw this case the other day. You want to talk about it because we treatment plan together. So we'll get study models. We'll get charts. We'll bring all the information together and we'll say, hey, let's talk about this while, you know, while Logan's napping, <laughs> you know, my son. So you know, we always try to squeeze something in and it's never just strictly family or strictly business. So is it, how is it working with, uh, with Ashley when you, when you come home, do you guys, are you like sick of it where you don't even want to talk about it? And it's like, if I came to your house, would I not even know you guys were dentists or just kind of, it is what it is. It's part of your life. You met in dental school, you went to orthodontic school and your fathers are in it. So it's just part of what you do. Yeah. It's kind of ingrained. I mean, we are, um, like we don't talk about it. You know, people come over. It's not like, Hey, you, you guys want to talk about dentistry um, or other couples that, you know, come over, even if they're dentists, it's not like we, we just jump right into it, but it's, um, you know, it, it was nice to meet Ashley when I was in dental school because that was the toughest time of my life for sure. Um, dental school was not easy and um, you know, meeting her and being able to have somebody that I can, can talk about it with because our fathers graduated so long ago that things had changed and yeah. you know yeah they remember you know the tough times but you know you, you let that go for right. us it was like we were in the moment so we um we try to just kind of you know work together and bounce ideas off each other i'll see a patient i'll call her and i'll say hey this is what i'm thinking what, what are you thinking because you know, you go to an orthodontist and you can get an opinion. You go down the street, you can get another opinion. I mean, everybody has a different opinion of how to get it done. And yeah. everybody who's been through the schooling and, you know, qualified has a good opinion. They're going to have some good opinion, but we're probably not all going to be the same. And now we're at this point where we're both board eligible, meaning we passed all of our written exams and whatnot. And all it took was um, 
one final oral exam, which they switched to, now it's going to be um, taken in, you know, prometric centers, given the, the, you know, situation now with COVID pandemic. So we're studying for our final aspect to our national board certification, which will be coming up in 2021. So now we're studying and we're talking about it again. So it's funny that you bring it up because we typically don't. I'll I'll say, okay, when I walk in the house, we're going to play with the kids and we're not talking about it anymore, but now we're studying together again. So sure. kind of funny, came full circle and now we're back at it again. Yeah, back at it again. So where can our audience find you, either social or website or practices? Tell us, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. So um, we have uh, Facebook um, and you know Instagram for both practices. Uh, you can find us at uh, Bancroft Dobrin Orthodontics. We have a website. Uh, B as in boy, D as in dog, orthodontics.com. And then for my practice, extraordinarysmiles.com. You can get me at X, the letter X, S as in Sam, ortho, O-R-T-H-O.com. And uh, and you can find our connections to, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you know, Instagram. And check us out, you know, typically publishing, you know, every couple months articles in the uh, neighbors magazine and the towns, um, you know, expert contribute contributions. Um, you can see my published research, which uh, was completed a couple years ago in residency a four year culmination of, you know, the effects of bonding braces to teeth and how and what techniques to use. Um, so I was, um, you know, able to be published in, in uh, you know, a renowned journal so i'm cool. lucky so i mean it sounds that that last piece sounds super exciting i'm gonna go check it out right now yeah yeah i mean don't uh don't fall asleep or let the drool come out of your mouth as the as you get through that first uh, abstract but you know hang in there it, it gets better after eight pages i guess i probably should have mentioned it i said i was going to get back to it but now that we're finishing up uh keith and i met we were we got randomly placed together as roommates in undergrad so we lived together all three years that we were both on campus and have kept in touch since then going through grad school together and now being in private practice and getting married, having a family. And, and the funny story about Keith and his wife actually was uh, my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife came home from, I don't even know what she was doing. We were looking at her credit card statement and this is after you and Ashley got married and it said Bancroft orthodontics on it. I'm like, do you know who that is? And she's like, no, who? I was like, you were at their wedding. She's like, wait, what? And so she had no idea that we were at Keith and, and Ashley's wedding. And then like a year or two later was treated um, at their orthodontist office to get a retainer or braces and didn't even realize it. And that's, uh, it was interesting how that reconnected everything. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I, I can't believe it's been so long, but you know, we've, we've stayed connected and it's great. I, and I, there's a, another funny story, um, which I brought up to your dad at the wedding, but you know, I still remember it. I was a waiter down the shore, you know, in between, uh, you know, semesters at college. And, you know, he had asked, he, he was walking by and I said, Hey, you know, um, Mr. Rabinowitz. And he was like, you know what? I need a, I need a model for the bridal show tomorrow. <laughs> and my guy backed out. Can you get this tux and can you wear it? And can you go there and stand with these brides? They're going to switch out five different brides for you over five hours, but I have no other grooms. And I'm like, Sure, let's do it. And uh, so that was uh, that was my brief stint in modeling. Perfect. Thanks hey, to your dad. Well, you've got a career if this orthodontist thing doesn't work out. 
yeah, sometimes I just post up by the door and, and just greet patients anyway. So cool, man. Well, this was fantastic and we will get it published hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And then guys, if you need uh, dentistry or orthodontic care, you now know where to go. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Great talking with you. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.